Well, we're back. Yes, we are. This is the E-Cast. And Optimus Prime. I've created a monster. You have. You're monstrous. Me, of course. Yeah. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to hit the world of college basketball. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the number one team in the country. Do you know who that is? Who? Oh, that's Grant Williams telling me that it's the Tennessee Volunteers. Sorry, the phone ringing. Sure about that? Ready? Let's do this. Tennessee basketball is number one in the country. They're back in the top spot for the first time in 11 years. 2008 was the last time under Bruce Pearl. And their first game, they went to Memorial Gym and got stunned by the Vanderbilt Commodore. So their trip at number one lasted three days. Uh, lost? Yeah, their first time. Oh, so wait, so this is their first loss of the season. No, I'm talking about 2008. Oh, okay. Oh, no, they've lost this year, but they lost in overtime to then number one Kansas early in the year. They were playing in all these invitational tournaments. But Wednesday, this Wednesday, a few days ago, they're in a similar position. In fact, it's the exact same position. They were number one heading to a date with Vanderbilt at Memorial Gym. The only difference is they went into overtime today on Wednesday, and they won 88-83. to 83. Commodores played a great game. But Grant Williams had a better one. The reigning SEC player of the year scored 43 points, including a stat that that just makes no sense. 23 of 23 from the free throw line. So you see in 2K, like all people who play 2K out there and are just beasts at the free throw line. Yeah. You know what he means. I don't know what he means. Playing 2K, free throws, part, you know what? You don't play 2K. You're, you're out of the fraternity. I mean, I just watched you play 2K. That's the yeah, extent of my playboy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So West Virginia is up next for the balls on, on Saturday. So my question really is simple. Is Tennessee the best team in college basketball? I say yes. I say yes for this reason. They are the most balanced, one of the most experienced teams, and I don't see a flaw in this team. They play great defensively. They have a strong rim protector. They have two guys who can go and get buckets when you need them in Jordan Bone and Lamonte Turner, and they have two horses in Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield who looks like a Greek god when you watch him play basketball. He looks like a tight end playing or a defensive lineman playing basketball. Well, that's understandable. I mean, but at, at the end of the day, I think that this is this is college basketball. I, it, you can say what you want about how good they're playing, but I don't think this is um, I don't think this, this is where Tennessee is going to dominate because they can start early now, but at the end of the day. I think the bigger powerhouses always show out. They've all they've won thirteen in a row. That's, that's I the, think they're in that conversation. I mean, you can talk about them, yes, but when 
it, when March comes around, I think we're going to be sing, singing a different tune. So, um, so about Tennessee, keep up the work, keep going, do the best you can, you know. But it, it, it never fails. Every single year, they they start talking about the the, uh, the Kansas teams or the Kentucky teams or, you know, UCLA, right? UCLA is a long way from where their history says that they should be. There's Duke. Duke, of course. Huh? There's Gonzaga. There's Michigan. Virginia. I get it. But I ref- I have a hard time believing that Tennessee is not in that conversation based on what I've seen right now. I mean, they're they're on the extreme like border of that of like of breaking into all that that talk. But I I, I just when we get to March, we're gonna see how, how how many people are talking about Tennessee. I get it. They're not the most talented. Well, they're not. They don't have the the superhuman level of talent that Duke has you, right now. You know, I get I get I, that. I don't think you need that. I mean I, I understand it. I understand. And Tennessee doesn't have that they, they, I mean, but they're number one in the country. And it speaks to what a remarkable job head coach Rick Barnes has done in his time in Knoxville, Tennessee. They actually gave him a chance, you know, unlike the um, past two coaches who were, you know, ousted after like one season, right? Didn't Quantum Martin wasn't he there for like what? four years? And I don't want to get into that conversation because that's that's a whole nother show topic. That is a whole nother show topic. And there's Donnie Tyndall who had too much um, too much baggage with the NCAA, caused him to get a show cause penalty penalty. He is not coaching anymore. My personal belief is based on what I've seen from this Tennessee team. Why can't they be in that conversation? No one's saying that they can't. If Marsh rules are rolls along and they're beating the top, the top teams, then yes, they deserve to be talked about. But if not, you know, and if they're ousted after one game, then it'll be a conversation of, of oh yeah, we saw this coming and now we still have our, our, our big dog. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like college football, who are your main teams that always, always win and always prefer to be seen playing Alabama, uh, Ohio state, um, Clemson. You get the same teams every every dang year, so it's you know, no 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 slight to the small teams, but that's 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 how it is. Loyola Chicago begs to differ. Well, I mean, you can say that, but yeah, I can't. I don't know why he's looking at me like that. You should see the look he's giving me. He's giving me the DeAndre Jordan stink face, and <clears throat> and I'm very uncomfortable. So what I'm gonna do. So we're going to handle some business. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back. And when we do, we're going to talk about a guy who I think has Casey's attention. A guy who's been performing at the Senior Bowl this week in Mobile, Alabama, who I think he'll like. This is the eCast, and we're coming to you from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Follow me on Twitter at Pod. That's where this show will be posted. When it's complete, let's go pay some bills. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to All Things Considered. My name is Robert Siegel, and we're going to be talking live about a certain receiver. You hear me buzzing in your ear? Buzz, 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 buzz. <laughs> if there were more than one mic, I would have cut his off already. 
all. You're just hating. No, I'm not hating. You want to know why I would do that? You want to know why I would do that? Why? Because I'm the one that's the host of this show. <laughs> the E-Cast is back, and we're and like he said, although he was a little creepy, we're going to talk about a guy who I think will be shooting up some draft boards in the coming weeks. His name is Andy Isabella. And I don't know where or how I got into how I ended up watching some highlights from him down at the Senior Bowl. But the first thing that came that I came away with was <clears throat> this is somebody that Casey has to look at because he is a wide receiver out of the University of Massachusetts. And I'll let Casey tell you a little bit more. Um, he's uh, five foot eight, I believe. Um, he's five eight, one eighty six. So he, he he's a uh, just from watching a little bit of his film. He's he's very uh, uh, he's built very well, in, in my opinion. Now, sh- um, receivers like him who are shorter, their own people will scream from mountaintops that their weakness is that one their size, uh, that they don't um, they aren't able to get around the taller corners. Now, from, from my experience, some of that is true. It, it's it's rougher dealing with a taller corner. But the advantage I think that this that this player has is one, he's strong. Just from watching him play, he's able to get off the line of scrimmage against press zero a little easier than most than most guys. That's what he has for him. So even if you're a taller corner, I think he's able to muscle his way out. Uh, the, the second caveat of this play that he's fast. <clears throat> he has a little a little. Uh, more than the average speed than for your average player. And that speed works well to his advantage with separation. And, you know, shorter guys like us, we, we don't, um, we don't have all the, all, we don't have all, have all the size to reach. So we rely on the fundamental, on the fundamentals of playing the outside position. I was told by a wise, um, a wise coach that playing receiver is not for the weak of heart. So you can't pout, you can't hang your head, but sometimes you have to rely on the muscle memory of your fundamentals and what you're taught at this position to, you know, make the plays. Apparently Tuesday at the Senior Bowl when he arrived, he dropped about he dropped something about a recent forty time, and he he claimed that he can run the forty in four point two six seconds. See that speed, you know, at his speed, especially the shorter guys who play the outside position like me, like like I did. Um, Speed will work to your advantage. You know, um, if you're my height and you have go, a go route called in the huddle, you know, and you know it's press zero, that, that better be like, you better be salivating, be being ready to go to war. Because uh, a little things um, for the receivers out there who have, who have played, I'm not sure if your coaches ever, ever told you about legal interference. See, when you're fast and you're tricky, you can interfere with that corner, make him fall in that go route. You, you start hitting his thigh, start hitting his leg, doing everything, punching his arm, making him stumble. Do what you can, you know, and then let your speed do the rest. That's why I think he's going to be a threat. He's strong and he's fast. People won't be able to get their hands on him, and he's stable also. As a sprinter in Mayfield High School in Mayfield, Ohio, which is his hometown, he won two state championships as a sprinter, the indoor 60-meter and the outdoor 100-meter at the state meet in Columbus, Ohio. Finishing second to Isabella in the 100-meter dash was a guy who was competing for Nordonia High School, 
who ended up playing at Ohio State and was a first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns, Denzel Ward, the cornerback who had a strong rookie season. Finished second to Isabella. Hmm. What was his time? He has said that he was clocked in the four threes, but he claims he can run a four two. What about his hundred? Does it say anything about his hundred meter? I didn't see anything about a hundred meter. What I did see are his stats from this previous season. He finished second in the nation in catches with 102, 1,698 yards, 13 touchdowns, and let's be real. He averaged 16 yards a catch. Which is, that is strength, you see. A refusal to go down. Somebody to look out for in the coming weeks as the draft process heats up for the NFL. Also, earlier this week, it may have flown under the radar, but the Tennessee Titans have a new offensive coordinator. I did not hear about this. You did not? I did not hear about this. Well, get used to the name Arthur Smith. He's been with the Titans organization since 2011. He was brought on by Mike Munchak, and he was retained by Ken Wisenhunt when he was hired. And when Mike Malarkey got the interim, when he got the full-time gig, he retained Arthur Smith as well. And then when they hired Mike Vrabel, he also retained Arthur Smith. So he's, he's uh, consistent. He's consistent, and he has survived four head coaches. The fact that we haven't survived is, is a, it's, you know. It's a bit of an, yeah, it's an issue, obviously. But it says a lot about somebody when each coach, when you change a coach and they decide to keep you, it says a lot about what you do and how good you are. Arthur Smith coached the tight ends in 2018, was responsible for the production being consistent, despite losing one of the premier tight ends in the league, in Delaney Walker. And when Jonu Smith, their second tight end, went down, the production still stayed the same, even with guys like Anthony Ferkser, the rookie out of Harvard, the Michael Pruitt, the guy that was signed midseason, and Luke Stocker, the pro- guy who's primarily a blocking force. So Arthur Smith, the tight ends coach, now becoming the offensive coordinator. It'll be Marcus Mariota's fifth play caller since he entered the league. That's, yeah, you have to, that's rough on a quarterback, you know. I'm not. I don't want to make excuses for the offense and how they play. I have not been, for one thing, me, personally, I have not been at all really impressed by the performance of this offense. They took half a step this year, but I just, when you have that many, that many play callers for one for one player and one system, it's it's just not, you know, it's it's not healthy. It's like being constantly sick all the time. And you know you're trying to take take medicine that's not that's weak and not working. You know how much can you really take? You know it's it's kind of ridiculous that the, t- the turnover rate for these for the play calling this offense is you know, so bad. I saw this on Twitter. It's called, from the Football and Other F Words podcast. A few tweets that gave a lot of context to why I think this is a good. This is a good move for Tennessee. A lot of coaches have experience with tight ends. A lot of good offensive minds have had experience coaching tight ends. And they start with Sean McVay, who was an assistant tight ends coach in 2010 and was a tight ends coach for the Redskins 
before jumping to offensive coordinator. Ken Wisenhunt, the aforementioned former coach of the Titans, was a tight ends coach for the Steelers for three years before becoming the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh before he got the head job in Arizona. Greg Roman, the tight ends coach for Stanford before jumping to the 49ers in his first NFL gig. Mike Malarkey coached tight ends for six years before becoming the offensive coordinator for the Steelers as well. He also played tight end in the NFL for nine seasons. Rob Jadzinski was the tight ends coach for the University of Miami. And then the Miami Dolphins before becoming the offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer was a, was a tight ends coach for 10 years before becoming a quarterback's coach and then offensive coordinator. The new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Freddie Kitchens, was also a tight ends coach for the Cowboys and Cardinals. Kevin Stefanski, the now full-time offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, was a tight ends coach. Andy Reid was also a tight ends coach, but had never called plays before becoming the head coach of the Eagles. And he is highly regarded as one of the best offensive minds in football. So it says a lot to me when you see guys who have coached tight ends who become offensive coordinators who eventually become NFL head coaches. There are more positives than negatives to that, I believe. Well, you know, I I understand that, and um, I know how that looks. But I'm I'm from from a more, I guess, realistic approach to this game. I I feel like there's a there are a lot more coaches who coach tight ends that didn't pan out. I'm sure that's yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's the case. We're what they were doing, I think they were just highlighting a few guy of highlighting some guys who have that experience coaching tight ends who would have gone on to great success in the NFL. And there's more more of them than the uh, than the opposite. I think Chief being the guy who everybody wants to be around or everybody wants a piece of, and that's Sean McVay. So I feel like for a lot of people, if you see Sean McVay in anything, it's a good thing, especially when it comes to offensive football. Well, yeah. I, and don't don't get me wrong. I really, I really um you feel good. I feel good about it. I feel it, but I just there are probably a lot more who didn't make it. I think I think these guys are their, these names are the ones who just ultimately did make it. And maybe they didn't pan out, but it sh- it sheds light on how working with tight ends helps you see the entire offense from a different perspective. I think the offensive line. I think because most because of the game they're is, both they're, they're they're involved in both the run and the passing game. I mean, just, and they see they see blocking schemes. They see a lot of things that most people don't see from the tight end position. I mean, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. But you know, part of me is thinking that you know. How many guys is that? That's only a small percentage of guys compared to the ones who really try. So, you know, again, for me, I'm, I'm split. I don't want to be the uh, glass half-empty guy. I'm not really. But it's just uh, you can't go based off of the stat because sometimes the stat doesn't do it justice to what really happens. You know, it's a pretty big league. It's a pretty big um, – it's a long season. So, you know, there have been plenty over the years who have tried. So. I think we've done enough damage for today, don't you think? More than likely. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we did. You've been introduced to Optimus Prime. We didn't even get into Game of Thrones talk because that was... that was, was that time? 
a little bit. Uh, oh my goodness! I know, man. It's it's crazy. If you do not watch Game of Thrones, watch Game of Thrones. People were talking about it over the years. And I was For many of- years, people were talking about it, and I just did not know why because we didn't have HBO. But now that it's on Hulu, and- streaming services are are, are are the thing. By the way, now that it's on Hulu, we have decided to jump in oh, feet we- first, and I've quickly drowned. We- I can't under I can't. This, this show sh- is, it's unbelievable. Oh it, my goodness. It really is. And I'm I see what everybody was talking about now. So this show is insane. To put it plainly, to put it as lightly as I can put it, this is the craziest show I've I think I've seen in, in a long while. And I've seen some pretty crazy crazy shows. So, you know, um I'm just Man, <laughs> well, we'll tell you a little bit more about it next week when we officially preview Super Bowl 53 between the New England Patriots and the LA Rams and whatever else is coming up in the world of sports. The Senior Bowl is also this weekend, so we're gonna look out for Mr. Isabella out there making plays. I expect him to actually show out, and a whole bunch of other guys looking to get that opportunity. To play in the NFL. Go for the underdogs. Go for the guys who aren't being talked about, I'm telling you. Go for good football players. That's a that's an that's an idea. Well, I think I've taken up enough of your time today. This is the ecast. We will be back next week. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us ramble on about other things going on in our lives. This is CJ, my BLB Casey. And Optimus Prime. I said my B. I said my BLB Casey. This message goes to all Autobots seeking refuge among the stars. We are here, and we are watching. I mean, wait, waiting? Not what? That's creepy. We are watching. Oh Lord! All right, guys. See you. You have a great weekend.